My name is Scott Chaloner and this is the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a very bleak and very cold winter morning here in the capital today, but joining me on today's programme, hopefully to add a little bit more warmth and brightness to affairs, is Gregory Bell, CEO of Skipton Business Finance. Um, Greg, very warm welcome to yourself and by all means, thank you so much for joining us today. No, no, not at all. Now, it's a real pleasure having you with us. Now, um, you are, of course, the CEO of Skipton Business Finance, which I understand is an arm of the wider Skipton Building Society. So just for sort of those listeners that might not be familiar with that side of the wider organisation, um, what is it that sort of Skipton Business Finance really specialises in? Yeah, I mean, Skipton uh, Business Finance, so the um, business was a um, new start business back in 2001. Um, so we started as a joint venture with the, uh, the Skipton Building Society. Um, and what we do typically is we provide working capital uh, to owner-managed businesses. So we deal with companies who generally turn over anything from half a million pounds to about 25, 30 million at the, at, at the top end. And uh, we fund their cash flow. So um, it's very much dependent upon where the market is, where the sensitivity is, how the economy is going. Um, but the business has, has gone on to do extremely well, um, finely placed uh, at the moment and, uh, and growing strongly. Yeah, and just going back to those sort of early days, am I right in saying that you were sort of part of the initial team that drew up the business plan for the Skipton Business Finance Arm? Am I right in saying so? Absolutely right, yeah. yeah. We were we were three executives that worked for different uh, institutions. Um, and I suppose the, the, the life cycle of the formation of the business really was that the, uh, the banks and the large financial institutions that we, that we worked for, we didn't think were giving a uh, particularly good service to, to clients. Um, it was uh, hell-bent on profit over, uh, over service considerations. And when we found the building society, the Skipton Building Society, we particularly liked the mutuality um, and the fact that it's all about creating wealth and employment and not just bottom-line profit that really attracted us. Uh, to uh, to them as a management team, mm. um, and that um, partnership has, has worked extremely well. Yeah, certainly seems so. And um, I understand as an accredited lender as well that Skipton Business Finance was actually an important supporter of small, medium-sized enterprises during the COVID nineteen pandemic that's caused so much disruption over the uh, the last couple of years. So there've obviously been sort of a lot of work for you to conduct over that time in issuing sort of business bounce back loans and also some operational challenges. I can imagine that you've had to kind of get around. How has it been sort of navigating the challenges of the last couple of years, by and large, for you? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, pandemic is the same for everybody from a, from a business perspective and a personal perspective. There's no economic anchor points to um, to look at um, and, and trends for how this thing was going to play out. So um, I sit on the um, board of the UK Finance Product Services Board, so I was heavily involved in terms of the, the design um, and subsequent implementation of the, of the government loan schemes that were put in place at breakneck speed, uh, I have to say. Um, there was probably six or seven institutions that, that were, were, were contributing to those um, discussions. Clearly things needed to uh, happen really, really quickly. I know Rishi uh, Sunak was, was very keen to get the announcements into the into the budget in terms of the support mechanisms that were going to be made available to, uh, to, to small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, and how that was turned around in, in such short order, I think, is a, a huge testimony, not just to the 
the, the, the team involved, but also the, uh, the the government in supporting that. Yeah, it did incredibly well, didn't it, implementing that at such a short notice. And I suppose the pitfall of having to do that sort of so quickly and executing it successfully was that, you know, safety measures, um, of course, counter fraud measures had to be relaxed. And that's, of course, had its consequences that's been very much well publicised in the media um, at the moment. Uh, But I suppose maybe as much as the government now has to go and sort of chase after money that's been lost to sort of bounce back loan fraud... um, it was almost a necessary thing to have to do, wasn't it, to make sure that funds could be distributed where they were needed at breakneck speed, as you say? Yeah. I mean, hindsight's sort of a, a wonderful thing. Yeah. I think, you know, had we all gone back and probably had a little bit more time to, to, to work on the uh, initial design of, of these loans, things would have been done differently. Um, I think the requirement of, of no credit searches or checks um, was, I think, a, an, an error, and that's permeated quite a lot of um, fraud. Uh, that's gone on in, in, in that sector. Um, so I suppose it's a balance between getting something that's fit and, um, and proper and out for purpose and something quick that actually deals with the, uh, the immediate concerns. But the, the volume of these loans is just unprecedented. Um, in the bounce back loans, there's, there's over one and a half million individual loans that have been advanced to, uh, to UK uh, businesses. So you know, 47 billion pounds has gone and this is completely unsecured a lot of it not detailed credit checked um and i think the the future ramifications in terms of default um will will be extremely high um now you never know what would have happened had those loans not um, been made available Mm. um and i think they've done some some material good but also they've also competed with traditional um the loans that would have been uh, made available um, were it not for the, for the government stepping into that particular breach. Yeah, exactly. It was an important intervention. I think that's absolutely right. And given, of course, that you had sort of your work cut out, not just, of course, adapting working practices, but also then having to kind of handle this scheme and help roll that out to businesses where it was needed, you were sort of very much in the thick of a crisis management situation, I suppose, during COVID. So what was it like sort of maintaining sort of morale and mental well-being in-house at the time. Um, was it sort of difficult for you to kind of manage that within the business? I think there's probably two sides. I, I think that the, um, the initial crisis management was geared toward, A, making sure that you had a business, and we had a business that was, that was sustainable, um, that was doing the right things by its existing clients, um, and making sure that they continued um, to trade. I mean, we had probably about 20% of our client book during the height of the pandemic had zero sales going through. Um, so they effectively mothballed um, them, themselves. And I think we as a, as a, as a lender, and as a, as a mutual um, building society, were able to take a different approach to a lot of, uh, a lot of businesses. We offered uh, not only the government support mechanisms, which were important, but we also um, offered clients to uh, relax fees um, to um, uh, get access to additional funds beyond the, the sales ledger, which we traditionally fund, just to really keep them going. And I think that that, that loyalty paid off. Um, out of those um, clients now, uh, 75% have returned um, and they're doing okay. I wouldn't say they're doing stunningly well, but um, they're recovering um, well. And I think that was that was important. I think from a, a morale and a, and a staff morale basis um, 
think this institution is, is outstanding in that regard. Um, you know, the level of um, well-being and support mechanisms that were afforded to um, staff and the regular communications that, that, that were sent out. And really, I think everybody felt part of the team and part of the part of the challenge as opposed to you know, ostracized and, and wondering, you know, how the institution were doing. Um, would they still have jobs? Were they going to be furloughed? Um, we followed zero staff at this organisation, mm. uh, which I think was was important as well. Um, and, you know, so I think that the uh, the communication was good. I think the morale of staff surveys that we send out, the feedback has, has actually been better than it was in in, in prior years. Um, so I think it, it handled itself particularly well. I think. Mm. And have you found as well that you know productivity has benefited from that additional flexibility that the workforce <laughs> had? Yeah, uh, the old productivity question. It, it, I, I think it was it, it was a necessity that we had people that were that were back and were um, were, were working from from home. Um, whether productivity um, benefited, I I, I doubt. Um, I think a lot of the collaborative work uh, that goes on with with future planning and future proofing the business, I think, was, was lost. And it became very much people inwardly focused on the on, on the day job, um, but I think strategically, uh, I think that's probably where the productivity from an exec perspective has, has been lost in terms of that future planning uh, piece and collaborating with people who are around the table. Uh, I think is so much different to uh, to the plethora of, of teams calls that um, we, we've uh, we, we've had to resort to. So mm. I'm glad that that's slowly coming back. Um, I think there is a fine balance between um, the home working and, and office working. We went to a, a three two day uh, shift, so three days at home, two days uh, in the office, and then the reverse shift. So staff would do a Monday and a Tuesday, and then work from home Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then the previous week they would they would then reverse that. So um, you didn't have people who said, you know, "I want to work at home on a Friday." Um, so I think that was fair, and I think that that's that's worked. Yeah, I think it's important that the future workplace, if there are going to be a place for sort of flexible working arrangements, is going to be sort of more of a hybrid format because there's always going to be a place for the office environment, isn't there, where, you know, heads and bodies are coming together and they're having those sort of ideas bouncing off each other around the table. They're having those sort of water cooler moments. I think they call them in the uh, the United yep, States absolutely. where, you know, that sort of helps drive innovation forward. And I suppose from a well-being perspective as well, I mean, it's like, there are much more social cues to be had and you can identify far more easily when somebody is sort of struggling when you're in there in a room with them rather than kind of trying yep. to read the cues over sort of a flat screen during a Zoom or a Teams call. Yeah, I, 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 I would agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. Um, you know, I think, I think there is a balance to be had quite what the workforce of the future, which is the um, mechanism that we're using as a, as a group uh, to evaluate how we, we maximize that collaborative working environment but also we recognize the fact that you know the boots on the other foot to some degree you know people want the flexible um, working now that they've got used to it and I think you've got to be able to accommodate and provide that otherwise you could potentially be at, be at a disadvantage in terms of the jobs market. Yeah it's a very difficult environment for recruitment right now and priorities amongst prospective employees are certainly changing and obviously business leaders have got to be very conscious of that they've obviously got to move with the times and make sure that they're very aware that you know you've got to almost conform to these expectations otherwise you're not going to be able to sort of tap into that resource of talent that is out there and 
in an, envi- in an environment which is so difficult for recruitment at the minute and there's labour shortages across a lot of industries, that's going to be incredibly important. Yep, no, I would agree with that. And um, just sort of looking back as to this kind of crisis management situation, if we if we call it that, um, having sort of successfully navigated the pandemic thus far, is there anything you'd say that you've actually sort of learned about yourself or your colleagues in the way that they've applied themselves and helped sort of get the business through this? Um, I, I think from, from a, a personal perspective, I think it's enabled us to, you know, we talk a lot about values in our um, organisation. Um, and I think what the pandemic did was actually test that and it enabled you to actually live those values as well. It's all right saying it's okay, put the customer first, customer-centric and all these sorts of things. Um, but, you know, to actually be in a position to actually demonstrate um, that with the, the, the client base that we've got. And our staff satisfaction, our client satisfaction um, survey that we did um, at the uh, just after the um, first, uh, first lockdown, um, the clients really appreciated it. You know, the feedback actual results went went, went up um, because people were at the end of the phone. They recognised the fact that people had those problems with proactive and actually contacting them and saying, look, these are the mechanisms that we've got in place. Um, yes, it was selfish to some reason because, you know, unless our clients actually uh, go on and, and survive and, and thrive, then that has a detriment to our business as well. Um, but I think just being there for the clients and just trying to understand and, and empathise because some of the some of the problems that they were going through were, were, were significant. You know, to have a thriving business and suddenly then you've got no turnover at all. Mm. Our larger clients, uh, just to give you an, an example, uh, they were one of the biggest uh, hotel uh, cleaning uh, companies in, in the United Kingdom. They probably had 30, 40% of the, of, of the London market and their turnover overnight just simply fell off a cliff. It did, didn't it? It was a real, real shock for so so many businesses and they've all needed that kind of help and support to kind of get through the challenges of the last couple of years in more severely affected industries and i think this is where sort of the value of networking sort of comes into play isn't it there's been that recognition and that communication between business leaders perhaps more so than ever before that we are all in the same boat and we can sort of learn from each other and i suppose a really good example of that was the sort of big pharmaceutical companies almost sharing intellectual property in the quest for a working vaccination. I mean, that's something that's completely unprecedented. We've never seen anything like that before. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, A, we were, we were able to demonstrate the fact we were, we were world-leading in that regard. If you think from the UK's perspective, has been, been outstanding, but also been able to recognise that the fact that we're all in this together and unless we're all out of it, um, then we're all still in it to some uh, to some degree. So, um, yeah, I think very impressive. I think from uh, from, from uh, especially you know the big farmer um, uh, sharing um, and hopefully making these uh, vaccinations available at, at cost to to third world countries as well is is extremely important. It is certainly, and um, I'm hoping that that sort of spirit of kind of community and that spirit of cooperation between industry is really going to continue moving forward into this sort of post-COVID world that hopefully we're now starting to uh, to venture into. And as we sort of start to see the mist clear and we start to embrace the challenges that are going to come following the pandemic, I'd be interested to understand, Greg, what some of uh, your priorities are going to be at Skipton Business Finance and what you're sort of really hoping to achieve over the next 12 months initially and then beyond that in the longer run. I think um, I, I think we're, we're now in a growth 
phase where we're equitative as an organization um, and keen to offer more of a diverse uh, package to, to, to UK uh, SMEs. We're doing larger clients now than we've, we've ever done. Um, so the average client that we, uh, we, we now have is about 35% higher um, in terms of turnover thresholds than it was pre-pandemic. And I think that what we're seeing now as a, as a business is a lot of uh, organizations that have been dependent upon more traditional bank overdraft type mechanisms are actually turning to um, invoice finance in particular because it's linked to sales and it fuels mm. growth as opposed to an overdraft, which is which is very fixed. And with Crown Preference disappearing, I think clients have recognized that personal guarantees given to banks are probably more at threat than they've ever been now because the banks haven't got that security comfort blanket there. So um, I think we're seeing a, a, a surge in, in demand. Uh, and I think it's, it's a cracking product for the clients that are, um, are, are looking to grow. And we're seeing more and more of that. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see sort of how it pans out in the uh, the long run, isn't it? Um, as obviously more people look to really grow their businesses. And we do see, don't we, that some real success does often come out of times of economic hardship from a business perspective. And as we do start to see sort of the way that things start to pan out and hopefully we start to see some of those visions of your own executed, Greg, I'd love to hear from you again and welcome you back onto the show just to, you know, kind of assess where we are at that point in time because we're yeah, constant- no, always, yeah. always happy to talk. Yeah, we're in a constant state of flux with it, aren't we? So it's going to be very interesting, certainly, to kind of see how we, we get on with that. Um, for now, it's been an immense pleasure welcoming you onto the show. So by all means, thanks ever so much for taking the time to uh, to join us. And do take care and stay safe with all still going on in the world as well. Very welcome. Nice to talk to you. Uh, likewise, Greg. And um, to all of those tuning in today, I do hope that you thoroughly enjoyed the interview with Greg Bell, CEO of Skipton Business Finance, just as much as I did. And if you have been listening in today and you own your own business or run your own organisation and feel that you have your own story of success and innovation to share with us here at the Leaders' Council, then by all means, we also want to hear from you. So why not also apply to be on the programme via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Um, Until next time, to all of our regular listeners, please do take care and goodbye.